Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Politics. Today, our guest is Mark Radelage. He is podcast host, and uh, today we talk about plenty of things like Andrew Yang, UBI, mental health, and climate change. Hope you enjoyed the episode and share it with a friend. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Hey there, Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So uh, to start off the show, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Mark Radelage. I'm the uh, host and, as they say, patriarch of the Radelage and Broadcasting Network, the self-proclaimed hardest working podcaster in the industry. We go five, six, sometimes seven nights a week. We talk about everything from comic books, movies and television to combat sports. Uh, sometimes we cover entertainment news, depending on what's going on in the world. I am married. I have two kids, eight and five, and I have been doing podcasting for over 10 years. But the job they actually pay me for is I am a jail social worker, licensed clinical social worker. Uh, I started out in the Green Party. And then I, and after 9-11, I'm originally from New York, now living in the sunny state of Florida. After the uh, attacks on 9-11, I was pretty steadily Republican for a while and uh, became independent. And then Andrew Yang started his campaign to run for president, mostly on the base of income, income guarantee. So I switched to Democrat just so I could vote for him in the primary. But I'm mostly a fairly independent utilitarian type voter. So you're part of the Yang gang? I am part of the Yang gang, <laughs> yes. No, I actually really like Yang. Uh, a lot of his, I don't agree with everything he says, but I like how he actually has like reasoning for what he says. He just doesn't have like one-liners that he says gets cheers for. He actually explains his policies oh. in detail. We're kind of a one-issue voting block in this country, aren't we? You know, we, we see a guy, he says a thing, we like the thing, we'll vote for him, even if he's whatever, or she is whatever, you know? Like, I kill, <laughs> I kill babies and puppies, but I'm going to wipe out your student loans. You've got my vote. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Andrew Yang, you know, maybe sacrificing virgins and uh, boiling people in oil, but he wants to do a basic income guarantee, so I'm locked in. <laughs> So if you don't mind me asking, who did you vote for in the 2016 election? Uh, I voted for Donald Trump, mostly because I wanted to see what would happen. Sort of a th- it was sort of a thought experiment. Um, Florida is one of those swing states. So he had, we, we have, Florida, but people think of the tourism industry. They think of Disney. They think of, uh, you know, Miami. My, uh, the city of Miami is very Latino and pretty left-leaning, but people forget that the rest of Florida is cracker country. And I don't mean like the all country band, I mean, you know, old time white folk. Mm -hmm. And we have a very steady conservative population. The Democrats seem to come from everywhere else. They come from New York, they come from Jersey, they come from Chicago, they come from Wisconsin, and then they come to Florida and they vote Democrat. But uh, this is gun-toting, rebel flag-wearing alligator country here. So, you know, it could have gone 
either way. It's like 90% of the, 90% of the state votes for whoever the Republican nominee is, and Miami votes for the Democrat, and it's about even. So it's, like, <laughs> so it's a vote or two or away. So one way well, or the other. It's, it's the same thing in, in uh, like California. Uh, most of the state, if you're talking like per square mile, is Republican. Mm-hmm. But then you go Los Angeles, San Francisco, and San Diego. Now right. it's a blue state. Yeah, it's where, all, where most of the people live. Yeah. I actually lived in Los Angeles for a period of time. So I am aware that the city Hollywood adjacent part of Los Angeles is very liberal. And then you get to the Valley and the only thing that they care about is lowering taxes and earthquakes. Yep. And I don't know how they plan on stopping earthquakes. So probably with lower taxes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, you brought up Andrew Yang. I love talking about Andrew Yang. He's, he's just, a different character. He's different than all the other Democrats. And in a certain way, he's, to me, he's like a libertarian progressive. So he has these progressive ideas, but libertarian ways to get there. That's probably where I sit philosophically. I'm mostly a, and this is why for a while I was comfortable with conservatism, conservatism as a philosophy, not as a practical set of ideas, but as a philosophy is more, you know, the old man standing out on his front lawn, shaking his hands, yelling, leave me the hell alone. Um, which, you know, that's our secondary motto in this country, isn't it? It's, you know, <laughs> don't tread on me and leave me the hell alone. Um, so conservative uh, philosophy was, you know, the non-intrusive government, pave the roads, defend the borders. Other than that, let us be, let us, let us pursue the American dream. Um, libertarianism, kind of the same thing. But it tends to jive more with progressive ideas. You know, libertarianism is, is again, the non-intrusive government. But, you know, you want to smoke weed, God bless you. You want to get an abortion, have at it. Uh, I don't particularly approve, but you do that. If, if, you know, it's a, it's a lot of getting the government out of people's individual way, such to the point that they don't hurt anybody else, kind of a philosophy. Where you get into the nuts and bolts and the practicality of it, I think, is where the arguments lie. But as general philosophies... Um, progressive liberta- libertarianism, conservatism, kind of in the same Venn diagram. Well, yeah. Well, what I see a lot today is people getting mad, either progressives getting mad at conservatives or conservatives getting mad at progressive, Republican, Democrat. In my personal opinion, if you're talking to 90% of voters, they all want the same thing. They all just have different ideas on how to get there. Yeah, I think there are some extreme ideas, extreme philosophies on both sides. But I think day-to-day life, everyone kind of more or less lies in the, lies, we're a center-right country. Um, but I think, and I think most people are center-right or center-left. Um, I think when you start getting into some of the more esoteric ideas and philosophies is where people take a hard line one way or the other. Uh, but as far as voting lines and, you know, how they want the country run, I think a lot of it runs up the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember seeing a study done that said the majority of Americans are fiscally conservative and socially liberal, which yes. sounds about right to me. Yeah. They don't want to pay high taxes and they want to smoke pot. I get it. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, don't tax my soda. As a matter of fact, don't take any of my taxes. 
Um, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I, I'm joking about it, but yeah, I think for the most, again, I think it goes right to that, that deep American um, value of privacy and pursuit of the American dream. And, and people would define that as keep my taxes low and don't legislate me into insanity. But I think on the other hand, if you don't say for just as an example, you can't dump all your toxic waste into Lake Erie, Lake Erie will be full of toxic waste and everything else businesses can dump. So you, you kind of need an EPA. And I think this is where, where this is, this is where the fights take place. You know, we don't want large government institutions. Okay. But you can't take people and businesses at their word. They won't destroy the environment. You have to put some safeguards in place. That's just an example. Um, you can say, here, drugs, have them, enjoy. Don't, you know, but if you then don't put check marks in place, like in your house, don't drive. I mean, like I work in a jail and I can't tell you, especially on the weekends, by Sunday morning, we've got more people in the jail for DUIs than anything else. And we have some pretty strict DUI penalties and nobody cares. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so just imagine if there were no penalties. You know what I mean? You mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? Like, I think people like the idea of deregulation, but if you actually took that as far as you could go with it, it would be madness out there. There would be people dying left and right. You can't do that we are to a degree not to be trusted. Well, yeah, that's why, that's why I, when it comes to our uh, election history, I like that we've been going, or the history of going back and forth between Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. That's how we keep a good balance. We don't get too much government. We don't get too little government. We I somehow listen, stay right in the middle. Yeah, I listened to your last show and your guest, God bless him, he had a lot of very interesting points to say, but, but he said something which I, he said something and I laughed so hard, I almost, uh, I had to like correct my driving because at the time, because I, it took me out and he was like, you know, he didn't expect Hillary to lose. And I'm like, we just had eight years of a Democrat. Like, it doesn't matter half the time who the person is. Eight years, almost a decade of the same party Americans typically switch. The, the one time we didn't, the guy coming out of the White House was so popular in the country at, at that point economically was doing so well that people were too afraid to change horses. But then, and he might have, and, and um, I'm talking about the Reagan into Bush yeah. uh, transition. And had Ross Perot not run um, in the second, second time around, we might not have gotten Clinton when we did. But there were indications even, you know, with the country going into recession at that time, we tend, we, we tend to only change horses in the two circumstances. A war that threatens the, you ask most military people, we wouldn't do this, but people think we would. A war that threatens draft or economic recession, if not depression, bubbles bursting, that sort of thing. Other than that, we tend not to change horses midstream. So I, whether you love them or you hate them, I have news for people. Guess who's getting reelected? So you, you think Trump's going to get reelected? Yeah. I don't think it'll be a landslide. Uh, it'll probably be a fraction, maybe uh, different than 
the last election went, like where he might still lose the popular vote, but win the electoral vote because that's how this country works. But yeah, I mean, there would have to be a new, a economic nuclear meltdown or a land war that will, <laughs> that requires sending, you know, large swaths of soldiers into Iran or something for us to change horses at this juncture. That's, that's just the way American politics tends to go. I mean, I'm, and I'm willing to hear a counter argument to that because maybe it sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about, but I've kind of looked back at this. We ran a live follow of the election the last time around. It was like me, um, a, a guy from Utah who's L, uh, LDS, and, um, and then a guy from Canada. And politically, we're all, you know, from one degree or another, different. But, and, but we all agree. They were like, these are, the tea leaves were all pointing towards Trump. And so none of us were surprised. And so it was kind of hilarious as we're live blogging this, people sort of react, you know, utterly adverse reactions to that election to the point of insanity. And the three of us are going, we all told you months ago this was going to happen. So, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, yeah, well, for me, election night, when they said Donald Trump was president, it was somewhat a shock to me just because, like, if you looked at, like, the odds of him winning. Sure. Everyone said it was, like, 90% chance he loses. So it was, like, as it's happening in, in ICM way in Wisconsin, and then they say he needs Pennsylvania and Florida, and then he gets Florida, and then it's just Pennsylvania left. I'm like, this is crazy. This, It's just – I didn't see it coming, but I also – thought there was a chance he would win because Hillary was a terrible candidate, first of all. Sure. But they said the same thing about Reagan. You know, mm -hmm. the old, I can't remember which celebrity at the time, journalist or whatever. Pop. It, it's been a public thing for, you know, since it was said. People all the, all the time bring it up in politics. The radio hosts, you know, talk show hosts bring it up constantly. But it's like, nobody I knew voted for him. I, <laughs> the Trump election was such a mirror to the sort of the silent majority of this country. I laughed uproariously when he got elected because there's this perception of what America is like. And then you kind of show a mirror to it. And you're like, Oh, that's really what we are. Wow. We're all still kind of racist. Oh, <laughs> you know, we, we don't understand how manufacturing in the economy works. Ah, we're really big pro wrestling fans and we attribute that to politicians. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. So, what do you think was it about Trump that was that made him so popular? Um, the short answer is uh people there's a there's a disaffected a large disaffected population in this country. Some of them are so disaffected and so mentally ill, they pick up large arms and shoot up schools. Um, the other side of that, though, is they have no explanation why they have everything going their way and they still can't make it in middle-class society. Uh, and it's hard psychologically for people to look in the mirror and go, maybe it's just me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe uh, I made some bad choices and now I'm paying for it that we don't live in 1920 or 40 or 50.
safety anymore and the world has changed. And so it's not so easy to get a job like it once was uh, based on the education or skill set that you have. So traditionally and currently, it's easier to say it's the Mexicans' fault. So there's this guy who's saying, who, whose basic political rhetoric, his campaign rhetoric was essentially, it's not your fault, it's somebody else's, vote for me, I'll build a wall, they'll stay out, and you can find work and take care of your family. That's as nice as I can put that. But that's how he won the election. Now, whether yeah. or not any of that's like doable <laughs> or even <laughs> remotely true is a whole other subject. But that's how he won. Well, I think Andrew Yang put it best. I think he came out and said, I think this is at one of the Democratic debates. He said that Mexicans were essentially being scapegoated for a problem that they really don't have a huge factor in. No. The, the, the white male American who works in manufacturing in this country didn't lose their job to South America or Central America. They lost it to technology. They lost it to a change in manufacturing. Um, they lost it to a need for a different skill set than push a button, yank a crank. So, again, it's not 1940, 1950. You can't just graduate school and get a job. Um, you have to have computer literacy now. You have to have a marketable skill. You have to be somewhat malleable, and you need to have an ability to cope and transition when life throws you curveballs. These are not, in my, in my short Time on this planet, relatively speaking, these are not things I see a huge amount of in people's personalities. I don't know if you see it differently, but I, I don't see people's adaptability being one of their stronger personality traits. Um, I think people get into a groove and then life changes and, they're, and then they, then they want to blame somebody that life changed other than just change with the times. Mm -hmm. but, a big, but a big part of this, and I want to stress this because I talked about this years ago, uh, and I apparently was yelling into the ether when I did, <laughs> but I wrote an article about, and it was, I don't know if you've ever watched the show. For people who know my podcast, Rattleton Broadcasting Network, we do a thing called Rattleton Broadcasting Bingo, which is every time I make a particular reference or a joke, we, we jokingly say, mark it on your bingo card. One of those things is every time I reference The Wire. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched the show on HBO. Uh, I've never watched it, no. Ugh, you're missing out on some of the best TV ever. But... Um, <laughs> The second season of The Wire dealt with the Baltimore docks and uh, stevedores. And to make a long story short, um, the lead in that season says, we used to build shit in this country. Now we just stick our hands in somebody else's pocket. And I took that line to task because it was, you know, said by a guy who did a thing for many years and that thing was being taken away and they had no other option. So there's a bitterness the, re the reality is we still build shit in this country. Lots of it. Oh boy, do we build stuff. But it's being built by less people and more machines. And that's a hard thing for people to, I think, wrestle with. So do you, uh, you said you're, you like Andrew Yang's idea of the freedom dividend, the universal basic income. 
Yeah, I came across the basic income guarantee when I was in grad school in Fordham University in New York. And uh, it was actually a gal who I was trying to date who, who on a, who as we were hanging out, getting to know each other, she was, she was all about it. She did a project on it and she's been beating that drum and working for agencies, promoting it ever since. And that was early 2000s. So I'll tell you how long ago it was. Uh, but she's still out there today banging the drum. She's actually stumping for Andrew Yang. So I see her all the time on Twitter and Facebook, putting it out there, uh, promoting his book, as a matter of fact. Yes, I am a huge fan of the basic income guarantee. I think the reality is the pick yourself up by your bootstraps, um, go out there and get a job now is difficult. Some people are not going to be able to do that physically, mentally. Uh, and I don't want to live in a country that, punishes people by a condemning them to poverty. It's a philosophical thing for me. Um, there's different ways of doing a basic income guarantee. There's the proposal from Andrew Yang. There's, you know, I, I've been to conferences on this stuff where there's all kinds of things proposed. Job guarantees, income guarantees, dividends, like an Alaska thing where everyone gets a cut of the oil dividend, that sort of thing. Um, to a degree, you see this with the American Indians. They're they're allowed to build a casino. They get a, you know, people in that tribe, limited to that tribe, then get a then cut of the casino profits, that sort of thing. There's all kinds of ways you can do a basic income guarantee. It's kind of a catch-all. But I'm a big believer, and you should not punish people for things largely out of their own control that causes them to suffer. Um, how you do it, well, that's up for discussion. But I have a, my, my father-in-law is like very conservative, like comes from the high-end big business. I can't tell you where he used to work, but he worked for a Fortune 500, big time, big business, has lots of money, all, you know, all of a sudden. And every time I bring this up to him, he was like, well, then nobody would work. Okay, that's not true. <laughs> and studies have proven it. Not everyone just fucking quits their job. Um, people need to, need to have purpose. And there's the concept, the philosophical definition of what is work? Is work something you get paid for? Or is work a thing you do? Should work bring you fulfillment or should you just build widgets? And I'm, I'm a believer that work is something that you should want to do that gives your life purpose. And if it pays you to do so, even better. But if not, you know, parenting is work. They don't get paid for it. Maybe we should. Uh, doing work, doing community work, your local religious establishment or uh, any sort of social service agency that aids people in need of services. Not everyone that does those things gets quote unquote paid for it. Maybe they should. Maybe the best way to handle that is some sort of basic income guarantee. The, my wife is a teacher and the question comes up all the time. Why are families falling apart and producing kids that uh, can't hack it in the public education system? There's a theory that a lot of that gets attributed to the two home, the two person home, uh, two person, two working family, mom and dad or dad and dad or mom and mom, uh, both work. And there isn't a parent there to sort of guide the ship 
in terms of the kids. Now, do I have the you know, studies directly in front of me that I can reference to tell you X amount of homes are disasters because of Y amount of working parents? No. But I am prepared to say that maybe things wouldn't be so bad if we had one person staying at home and one person working and the basic income guarantee would afford people the ability to make that happen. I guarantee you right now, there's a basic income guarantee. One of us would not be working in this house. One of us would absolutely stay home, running the household, making sure the kids were on task, et cetera, and the other person would be out. But we can't do that, we'd be homeless. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so one thing about the universal basic income that I, I like is the idea that it kind of takes away the stress from I would say a majority of Americans, especially middle class, even upper middle class, if you, yeah, I, let's just say I'm, I'm from Southern California and mm. oh, to rent a two bedroom apartment is two grand, sometimes even more. So if you got two, two people in the household who get that income now, now there's less stress on am I going to have a roof over my head after my next paycheck? You can see that it will lean towards a happier society, less stress, less anxiety. Yeah. There's actual um, study, like studies that have shown that if nothing else improves, general happiness and mental well-being improve where a basic income guarantee is applied. So you're a hundred percent right there. Let me, speak to the far right conservatives listening to your show right now. Cause even if you, even if you think what a lot of what I'm saying is a bunch of hippy dippy crap and I'm like a crazy communist, the reality is that the cost of living has like lapped the uh, average income. Like it hasn't kept up at all. So from our parents' generation, now my parents are in their seventies. Uh, not sure how old you are, but I'm in my 40s. Parents are in their 70s. Um, and certainly for those in their 20s, we're making far less in comparison to the cost of living than the last two generations of people. That's just a fact. So you go back to, well, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and uh, I did it. Why can't you? You also did it under entirely different circumstances in a different world. Nobody was paying $2,000 rents in Southern California 40 years ago. So like, that's, you know, <laughs> I love that. Like, 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 I don't know if you know people like this, you know, in your conversations in the world, but you like you talk to somebody and they, and they, and they throw these sort of general comments at you and they're talking about a world we lived in decades ago that doesn't apply now. And like you tr and I try to explain that to people and it's like, no, 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 no. Their sole singular life experience dictates how we should do things for the next thousand years. Come on. Write <laughs> <laughs> a statistic every once in a while, for Christ's sake. Well, so I feel like a lot of conservatives are opposed to the universal basic income 
Yes. But from me trying to think as conservative, uh, I I think I'm center leaning a little bit to the right. Limited government, right? Yep. So this is just a little, like if at minimum we had just a universal basic income and just kept everything else the same, I think that's not a whole bunch of government where we're really asking for. We're just asking for everyone. So not everyone will start at zero dollars in the capitalist society. Everyone will start at 12,000. You'd have more people starting businesses, more people spending money. It would, it would help businesses all over because people are spending money. You also can eliminate redundant institutions that are a drain on uh, taxes. You can eliminate certain social institutions. You can eliminate for public assistance. You really don't need public assistance anymore if you've got a basic income guarantee. That's redundant. You can probably start to either lessen or do away with public housing. Because again, that's redundant. You're giving people cash. Um, there are other federal uh, social programs that you could start to cut away if you're doing a basic income guarantee. That was actually, this started in the Nixon era, believe it or not. And that was one of the big arguments during the Nixon administration for this was, hey, after the New Deal and the Great Society, we've got this incredibly intrusive, overburdened federal government with high tax rates and all of that. What if we just cut out the redundancy and gave people, you know, and created like a negative income tax, et cetera, negative income tax, another way of saying basic income guarantee. And uh, we did it that way. It's more streamlined. There's less government employees involved in doling out the cash. It's not means tested, means tested, you know, in order for you to get your check, you have to meet X, Y, Z requirements. So like, for example, Medicaid, um, Medicaid is a state healthcare, uh, government healthcare system, and you have to be X poor to get the benefit. That's means testing. Um, so you get rid of the means testing, you get rid of the redundancy, you get rid of the government intrusion, and you have less people that are impoverished. Um, when you get into the nuts and bolts, there's, there's discussions to be had, but I think the general philosophy is sound. Well, yeah, and then it, talking more specifically about Andrew Yang, his policy as a whole, he he breaks it down where the money is going to come from. If you transfer the, mm -hmm. the money that goes into our welfare system to that, it pays for like almost a third of it, or if not more than a third of it. And it's just reallocating money. And then also additional taxes like the VAT tax. So when That's you have someone who comes up with a plan where it's not, there's no income tax increase, it's literally just reallocating the funds we have now. If he's inten intending to do a VAT on top of an income, federal income tax, that's a hard sell to a good 51% of this country. I, I just, the minute you, if, if it was zero sum, if it was, I'm going to cut from here, 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 and here, and that's how we're going to pay for it. And 
or either eliminating the income tax and replacing it with a VAT. It's an easier sell. Um, if it's zero sum and there's no tax increase and no VAT, that's the easiest sell if it's just zero sum. Uh, but I can tell you right now, any anyone over the age of 40 who you start off your sentence with, and we're going to create a new tax, they've immediately stopped listening. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I agree with you on that. I think even if Andrew Yang somehow pulls off the general election or primaries, then general election and wins it, I think it, it's going to be a hard sell through Congress as well. I think he's going to have trouble getting that passed if he did become president. Yeah, I think him and Elizabeth Warren have a good idea to sell to 18 to 30-year-olds. Here's the problem. These fucking people don't vote. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking to, again, my father-in-law, and I said, "The, the, the reality is that George Bush's second term and the Trump election where you had very shrill, very loud Democrat, far left, mainstream media, Hollywood voices all saying, you know, led, led by Jon Stewart saying, for the love of God, vote Democrat. And then the Republican wins and the Democrats turn into the camera like Bill Maher and just go, but why? What happened? And what happened was the, their audience didn't vote. 18 to 30-year-olds typically vote the least in any elections, really. But the general is what we're talking about, general presidential elections. So the question I put out there in our dinner conversation was, what would need to happen? How would you, what needs to be the Trump immigration issue for the Democrats to get 18 to 30 year olds to vote. And my father, and I, and I suggested Elizabeth Warren's, you know, wiping out of college debt. Cause that boy is, if that doesn't speak to 18 to 30 year olds, I don't know what does other than maybe legalized pot across the board. Um, and he goes, I don't think anything is going to get people is going to get that crowd to vote. And I don't know if it's just large psychological apathy or, I couldn't even begin to psychoanalyze that age group. But it's not even just current in that age group. It's like historical for the last 50 years or something like that. They don't vote. If they had voted, we'd have different presidents. So, because it's not them that got Obama elected. It was Mm -hmm. 30 and above that got him elected. You know, it, it was the, you know, you happen to have been running for president at the time of a great economic, you know, collapse and people going, well, <laughs> eight years of Republicans and this is where we landed. So I don't know. Let's give the black guy a shot. <laughs> um, so, so I don't, so I, I look at Elizabeth Warren who Andrew Yang wasn't in, wasn't running. Um, I might have been convinced to vote for her. She won't win, but I, you know, I also used to vote Green Party. I'm used to voting for people who don't win things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of my thing. Um, Hello, Ralph Nader. Uh, So, but um, 
I guess the point that I'm saying with this is, you know, her thing is I'm going to wipe out student loans. His thing is basic income. And like, I, I wish that would light a fighter, light, light a fire under people. Um, I don't know if it's going to. And I, and I kind of feel bad for them because I know that's a big part of what's driving them. That's who they're trying to get to vote. And um, I don't know, stream video games while you're, while you're running for president. Maybe that'll help. Yeah, <laughs> streaming video games is huge right now. Yeah, it so is. Might as well. Yeah, it, it might be worth something. Get on well, FGTV or uh, or what's the other one? My son, my son watches uh, something. Twitch. Angry Orange on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> get get on FGTV <laughs> or Angry Orange. Yes, Twitch. You know, get on the Twitch streams and do video games. And while they're like, like, hey man, as we're playing Overwatch, can I talk to you a little bit of something about the basic income? Maybe <laughs> then you'll reach people. Uh, make make voting a part of getting downloading a new Overwatch patch. Like you can get the patch, <laughs> but you gotta vote in the general election. You can do it from your console. Well, so do you think that we need more people voting? You think that's that's an issue? Yeah. Um, everybody, every eligible voter over the age of eighteen votes. Democrats win more elections. Period. Um. They don't, Democrats lose more often than they win. Now, you get down into the nuts and bolts, into the weeds, that's also, also guided a bit by geography, but in general, uh, the voting blocks trend older, those older voting blocks trend towards voting Republican. Well, so, I forgot who I was having a conversation with. I, I think it was an episode that I haven't released yet, but we were talking and they were just explaining how it's, it's nice to get everyone registered to vote. And yeah, we want more people voting. But his worry is that do we actually want everyone to vote? Do we want all, a bunch of people who, because the majority of Americans don't really pay attention. They just show up and, Pick the one with the letter right next to the one that they voted for for the next for the past thirty years. We voted for the failed real estate mogul who exaggerated that women women will let famous people grab them in the vagina. Yeah. Does it yeah. really <laughs> matter if they're educated or not? <laughs> Why is that a thing all of a sudden? We have it. Yeah, we, I guess you're right. <laughs> I, I listened to your last show and, and that got brought up and I tried to clean up how it was said from that show. Um, but the reality is we've never been a tremendously educated voting public. I mean, go back to your high school social studies history classes. Uh, what is it? Tippecanoe Canoe and Tyler too. Remember the Maine? Two separate incidents. But we're real. <laughs> We're real big in this country on, you know, voting for sizzle and not steak. So, you know, I'm not so, as Jim Jeffries would say, I'm not so precious about the um, ability to vote. Like, we're, we were dumb in the 1800s. We were dumb in the 1900s. We're just as dumb in the 2000s. So why are we, yes, everyone should vote. And and vote your self-interest. 
Literally, literally only think about yourself. That's what I say. Well, so let's, let's switch over uh, your job where you, where you get to pay your bills with. Yes. Uh, how, tell me how you got into that real quick. Um, so I started off in uh, trying to work in Hollywood and movies and uh, I actually did independent, worked in independent wrestling for a while. Um, I got very disillusioned and I decided I didn't want to do the kinds of things you need to do to be successful in that industry. And I didn't want to live the way you have to live until somebody discovers you. Um, I think philosophically it's all bullshit. So I was like, nope, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> um, so I left Los Angeles and I moved to Massachusetts. And at that point I just needed a job. Uh, I, I, and you know, I have a bachelor, I had a bachelor's degree in like basically English. So I had a bachelor's degree essentially in basket weaving. And I didn't want to be a teacher because I've also tried that. So trying to get a job, end up becoming a uh, social worker in an in-home in an, uh, in youth program. So it's like eight or 10 uh, child offenders, uh, violent offenders, ki uh, thieves, kids who have had sexual offenses, who have to live in this house uh, for like a year or something like that. We have to do treatment plans and they have to get therapy and get placed on meds. And, and so at the level, at the education level I had, I was one of the like house parents basically. Uh, and in the course of doing that and working with those kids and some of the experiences I'd had in Los Angeles, I started to think about, um, I think I would like to work with kids, work with disadvantaged uh, kids in bad situations, psychologically maladjusted kids, and be a help helping person. I want to help kids in bad situations. So I pursued being a, a social worker. I got my master's degree. And then for those that don't know, once you have your master's degree, in order for you to do therapy, you have to... Uh, practice in an agency under a supervisor, then take a test, and then you're a licensed clinical social worker or a licensed mental health counselor, depending on which master's you have. And then you, you can do therapy. You can do all kinds of therapeutic services. And that's what I did for a long time. I've worked with all kinds of kids in various different programs, the traditional come to an office setting, in-home therapy settings, I've done child protective services. Yes, I was a baby snatcher at one point. <laughs> um, that was fun. Uh, I've done, I've worked in an HMO. And then for the last almost 10 years now, I've worked in a incarceration setting. No prisons as of yet, though. I know a tremendous about, <laughs> amount, about, amount uh, of them. I know a lot about them. Sorry, tripped over my own words there. Uh, just from having studied up and, you know, dealing with the folks in jail, but I've worked in two different jails here in the state of Florida. And um, unless Kevin Feige hires me as a consultant for Marvel movies and television, I don't see myself doing anything else. So, so you, so you do social work. 
where does that translate politically? What can we do politically either to make your job easier or to make your job non-existent if there's a cure-all? Um, the trend has been over the past few decades to close large state uh, mental hospitals. So jails and prisons have become the de facto mental health institutions to the point that we are actually dumping a lot of money locally, at least in our, in the County I work in, into creating mental health programs within the jail, which is laudable. And uh, I wish more jails would find the funds to do so. Small problem with that. We're really not the place to be doing it. Mm-hmm. We need more state and city inpatient hospital settings. Um, we need uh, more access, easier access to healthcare. And we flat out need to stop treating substance abuse like a crime and more like the disease that it is. And I'm just talking about the users here. I'm not getting into the dealers and the gangs and all of that because boy, is that a whole other issue, both from the legal standpoint and then how to treat it like a social disease standpoint. Um, So when I talk about substance abuse, I'm talking about the end users. Uh, We're trying to get people healthcare and then for them to use that healthcare, because here's the problem. The the term is called co-occurring. It's where you have a mental health issue, bipolar disorder, major depression, major depressive disorder, uh, general, generalized anxiety. Some of you have some of your personality disorders. Let's leave antisocial out of it. Those tend to be your hardcore criminals, gang members, that sort of thing. Um, but your, your, your borderlines, your histrionics. Um, on the other side of the fence, you've got your psychotics disorders, you've got your schizophrenics, your schizoaffectives, et cetera. And those people also use drugs. Um, you you take away their pot, you take away their cocaine, you take away, uh, you take everything that was traditionally a drug away, they invent new ones. They invent meth. Take that away. They start hitting up doctors. And here, I'm, I don't know if you know the comedian Pat Oswald, who did a whole bit on how his mom, she just has to kind of shake her elbow and they give her a a candy cane, a hollow candy cane uh, filled size of uh, opioids. You know, your Vicodins and stuff like that. Um, so you, you take heroin away, people bug doctors for opioids. You take other drugs away, people invent meth. You take that away, you create synthetic marijuana, which is a hundred times more dangerous than traditional marijuana. And even traditional marijuana has changed from what it was in, say, the 60s to what it is now, what it potentially could be now. Uh, I'm not a fan of drugs. I don't, you know, I don't particularly use them. (laughs) And when I say drugs, I'm I'm talking like, it takes a lot for me to go to a doctor. I had a pretty substantial health scare two years ago and then a reoccurrence this past year. And, you know... just because of that, I'll take, I have to take prescribed medication, but 
other than that very specific thing, you can't even get me to the doctor half the time. And, you know, I don't, I'm not big into aspirin. You know, I have to be really sick to take NyQuil. Um, so, you know, not hearing this from a person who will substantially gain in his life from legal and easily accessible street drugs. But I recognize that as Chris Rock would say, if you take all the drugs away, people in <laughs> people will come up with some crazy invention to create something new because people just want to get high. And boy, did I clean up his joke just now. <laughs> Go watch his special. You'll see the joke that he did. But that was what he was saying. Um, just as an aside, George Carlin, another joke. Uh, you, could kill, you could kill all the people on earth except for one guy and that crazy motherfucker will attack the mirror. I get most of my <laughs> philosophy from stand-up comedians. This is what I'm trying to tell you people. <laughs> um, but no, I, street drugs, for lack of a better phrase, substance abuse is very much a disease of the mind. It's a gener it can be a generational uh, disease of the personality. These people need treatment, not incarceration. So to answer your question in a long-winded way, um, if we could focus on the people who need, who, who need the kind of crime and punishment model that we seem to enjoy here in the United States, which is very different from how they do things in some parts of Europe, different conversation entirely, um, then let's focus on them and not so much on some bum you arrested who was smoking a joint in the park. Well, so I completely agree with that. So I'm for the legalization of marijuana. I think it's ridiculous that's, that it's even considered a Schedule One drug. That That's mind-boggling to me. Are you aware of the history of uh, marijuana, um, marijuana prohibition? Uh, not 100%. I know, I know the campaign to get marijuana to be like a Schedule One drug was done in the 40s or 50s. We didn't like Mexicans and jazz musicians. That's about mm -hmm. the size of it. Yeah, I know it has a pretty racist history and yep, <laughs> a, a fucked up one. So, <laughs> so I mean, I'm just you know the the Harrison Narcotics Act. I think it was is what got like heroin and cocaine, both of which used to be prescribed drugs, uh, made illegal. I'm I'm for control and regulation. I don't think my eight-year-old should be able to go to 7-Eleven and buy herself a Slurpee and a vial of cocaine. I'm not suggesting that. I am suggesting that maybe law enforcement, not the best handlers of uh, illicit substances, maybe that's a medical thing. You know, I, I can't, I'm on three prescribed drugs. I can't buy any of them in the street. I have to go to the pharmacy. This isn't that hard. Maybe. We go back to giving it to the doctors to deal with. And, you know, and we find, I mean, there have been, um, there, there have been experiments in doctor controlled, like heroin institutions. You know, you go in, you sign in, a nurse shoots you up. You got to go to a group. I think you do the group first and then you're allowed your fix. And then you kind of hang out there if you need to, or you go if you want to. It's kind of like a methadone clinic, only it's heroin. 
disease drop after like I think a sharp rise in use occurs and then it drops substantially where this has been tried disease plummets there's all kinds of good benefits from it but now pitch that to people who don't really deal in the substance abuse field and they're just like no drugs are bad we shouldn't use them and we should lock up people who do so well, I don't talk much <laughs> <laughs> well 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 a lot of people don't realize or I don't know if a lot of people don't realize it well I've from people I talk to on an everyday thing like a lot of the heroin users oh we are throwing people in jail for heroin use for buying heroin but I don't remember the exact study that did it but 80% of heroin users started with a prescription so it's it's not like they decided hey they woke up one morning, I'm going to start using heroin. It's a lot of the drugs we have in the pharmaceutical business are almost the same thing as some of these harder street drugs. Let me tell you something. Two years ago, when I was in recovery from uh, my disease incident, uh, my leg started to hurt. I was, I was just retaining water all the time and they were like sensitive to the touch. And I was having, I was having a hard time, moving around as I was in recovery. And I happened to have mentioned to the doctors, you know, they always ask you, are you in any pain? Are you in any distress? Have you fallen, et cetera, et cetera. And said, yeah, my legs are in constant pain. First words out of her mouth. Oh, do you want, this wasn't it, but for the sake of argument, do you want Vicodin? No, I don't want Vicodin, you fucking drug dealer. <laughs> but that's how easy it is to get. There was no examination. There was no further in, in, in inquiry. I walked into, God bless her, the, uh, the nurse practitioner's office and said, my legs hurt. And she said, here's drugs. So yeah, it's hard for me to reconcile this belief in, in practice in this country of uh, these harmful models where we hurt people because we don't like the behavior with the fact that we utterly put, we utterly enable the behavior every way we can. Don't use drugs, here's drugs. And people are like, ah, you're being too general. You know, in one case they're using heroin and in another case they're using, it's the same fucking thing, come on. <laughs> the hell out of here. So I, I think fundamentally as a country we got to get our shit straight because we talk out of both sides of our mouths my favorite one and i don't particularly have a dog in the hunt but just my, my favorite talking out of both sides of your mouth in this country is <laughs> is the, when we deal with the, the, the death penalty and abortion um <laughs> people just you know, I, I i respect the right to live we must protect everybody kill those people though those people are fuckers all right um <laughs> You know, all life is precious, except that, you know, we're actually going to not help you raise any children you bring into this world. Piss off. All righty. Great. Terrific. <laughs> yeah, the death penalty specifically is an issue I've never understood from the conservative side. Is that uh, I understand the arguments for being pro-life, pro-choice. So from pro-life, I get it. I get why someone is pro-life. Sure. 
but then you also can't be for the death penalty. I just the argument is a baby isn't an axe murderer. That's that's yeah. the argument. It's still life at the end of the day. I don't disagree with you. I think it's, <laughs> I think yeah. the argument is stupid. I'm just letting you. I'm just telling yeah, I know. <laughs> you what the argument is. That's always what I. It's like yo, you know, that's an innocent child you've murdered. You're not innocent. Well, except that we have murdered innocent people. Our justice system doesn't have the world's greatest track record when it comes to utilizing the death penalty. Not to mention that we're the most passive-aggressive death penalty people going. You have been sentenced to death. Here's 87 different appeals, and we won't do it for another 100 years. Lots of luck. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) So I want to stay talking about, I guess, the mental health in this country. So earlier you mentioned there has been more and more public mental health institutions that get shut down. I think it started back in the 80s Yep, when that started happening. So I personally think that we need an increase in public mental health institutions where they're free. Obviously, taxpayers will pay for it, but essentially you don't have to worry about health insurance or anything. You go in there or someone takes you there and you get the help you need. Are you in favor of that? Yeah, I feel like we should stop dumping money into prisons and take the money that we are dumping into prisons and dump them into creating, open, reopening up closed mental health institutions, but hiring quality staff. You know, don't pay your staff like you pay your prison guards. Um, get professionals in there and make, you know, and hire a range of therapeutic professionals, you know, art therapists and social workers and counselors, um, psychiatric nurse practitioners. Not everyone has to be a psychiatrist. Uh, it, it doesn't, getting a yoga instructor to teach, to get schizophrenics doing yoga isn't gonna cost you a zillion dollars and it's got amazing health benefits, okay? Granted, the first thing you need to do is make sure they're all taking their meds, but that's kind of the easy part. It's what you do with these people once you've got them stabilized. Um, you know, there, there, there needs to be money in creating a social mental health net for our most uh, at-risk uh, citizens. And it's patchwork right now, and we don't pay people a lot. Like, I always laugh now when, when I meet somebody who wants to get into the social work profession. I jokingly say, go be an accountant. Though I can't really say that anymore because those jobs are going to go to machines in the not too distant future. Um, welcome to the Terminator universe, everybody, where AI <laughs> is taking over. Enjoy. Um, but I, it just, I went into this because I wanted to help people, but boy, does it pay nothing. I mean, what I do pays a decent amount of money, but you know, a guy starting off in you know working for Raymond James Financial. Makes, <laughs> makes more than I do just starting out as what I do 20 years into the business. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the way life is. When, you, when you're paid in other people's money, you get paid substantially less than you do when you create a product and you can sell said product. Um, over in Europe, I want to say that, there are, that it's almost reversed where a lot of the social professions are paid really, really well. 
so you get quality people. Uh, so yes, we need institutions, we need safety nets, we need uh, a general increase in overall pay for people in the social helping professions. I would include teachers in that. Um, so that you can attract, so when somebody's looking at two roads in front of them and says, well, I can work in stocks and financial institutions and make shit tons of money and maybe develop a cocaine habit, or I can be a social worker and I'll just develop a drinking problem uh, and they'll pay me nothing, but boy, will I feel good about what I do for at least a year. For at least a year. <laughs> so when it comes to mental health, do you think recently, as you know, I'm sure you have seen the news, there's been a couple mass shootings. There's been a lot of mass shootings this year. Do you sure think has. the mental health in this mental health in this country has a part in that? Okay, everyone take a drink. I'm gonna bring up another comedian. All right. Um, <laughs> mark it on your bingo card. Uh, Jim Jeffries talked about gun control and mass shootings and mental health. And the, and he was talking about the arguments. I don't know if you've ever heard the Jim Jeffries gun control bit, but apparently it's like the most fav famous comedy bit in modern, uh, modern history. Like it's been shared around. It's like the one thing he's known for. That and using the C word. But um, he's Australian, let him be. Anyway, the, the gun control thing he was talking about was, he was like, I'll never be, I can have a machine gun. I'll never shoot any, any place else. I'm not mentally ill. And he was like, you don't know that. Every once in a while, we all get a little sad. He's making a joke. That's very general and kind of making light of it. But his point is sound. You and I talking to each other right now from the comfort of our presumably middle-class estates are probably not going to harm anybody. But God decides to do the job effect and take everything away from us. Maybe you don't do anything and you just sort of sit with your suffering wondering, eh, well, this is all terrible. I don't know how it happened, but me, I have a different level of resiliency, a different level, a different series of genetics, different upbringing. And while I was fine in my comfortable life, when devoid of that comfortable life with the, all those things I just mentioned, now I'm liable to kill somebody. You can't tell with people. You, don't, you never know when someone's going to snap. I mean, people, there are degrees at which you can kind of read the tea leaves and say, yeah, this person. But two people in 100% similar circumstances, income levels, housing, geography, everything. And then there's a significant enough change to both one person may in fact snap, the other person doesn't. Now, how do you decide who to give a gun to? <laughs> you know? um, and, and that's for me the problem. Um, lots of people have bad things happen to them. Not everyone shoots a school. Uh, and, and so the, 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 right now the catch-all thing is, well, it's mental illness. Go look up the statistics for the amount of schizophrenics that are out there. If every schizophrenic shot up a school, we'd have no students left. Go look up the amount of people that are dealing with depression in this country. From mild to major, the amount of people diagnosed, rightly or wrongly, with bipolar disorder. For those, of, for those Mike Tyson fans out there, that's what they used to call manic depression. 
it's bipolar. Let's all keep current with, with terms. Um, people with, there's a great book. I recommend everybody read it and then become frightened of your neighbors. It's called The Sociopath Next Door. And it talks about the high functioning, borderline, antisocial, histrionic, personality disordered. Because the ones we know about are the are like the nuts, <laughs> you know, who do something bad and, and, you know, and they end up on television or whatever. The ones that we don't know about, the ones that are, we're kind of surrounded by in the society and it probably grows every day, are the ones that are able to keep a job, don't kill everyone around them, but they're there. They are in fact disordered. So psychopath, sociopath, interchangeable, what they're really talking about is personality disordered. There's like thousands in this country, maybe millions. And they range from like doctors and lawyers and uh, Hollywood folk and, you know, other kinds of entertainers, you know, all the way down to, you know, your common you know, teachers and mechanics and whatever. It's just a weird, weird world, man. <laughs> and so your question was, you know, it was like, well, mass shootings and mental health. This is going to start... I, I don't want in this country this to turn into kind of a, a witch hunt mm -hmm. where people who with, with, with mental illness is common, I guess is what I'm trying to say because mental illness is a catch-all. It ranges from generalized anxiety disorder to schizophrenia and everything in between it says, you know, means a lot. So a kid who's got some autism spectrum disorder going on, maybe some personality disorder or a psychosis. There's actually a lot that fall into that category. They all aren't going to shoot up a school. One of them might, one of them has possibly, but this is, this is a hard thing to wrap your arms around legislature wise. It's not that easy. And I get a little pained when this stuff comes up on TV because TV looks for the easy narrative. Mental health plus guns equals death. That's easy. Mm -hmm. It's not reality though. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, what I imagine they're talking or I hope they're all right. In reality, they're probably not using any statistics to back them up. They're just <laughs> going out and saying it, saying it because they heard someone else say it one time. But there, there is a study. It was done by the National Institute of Justice, which is basically the the research, and they do studies for the Department of Justice, and they took every mass shooting from, I believe it was. 1999 and on and they took every shooter and compared them and saw what they all had in common and one of the things was that a majority of them in their younger age life mm -hmm. experienced some sort of trauma sure. or an exposure to violence whether that be like domestic violence bullying uh sexual abuse physical abuse right but how pervasive are those things? That's the ugly truth about this country. Yeah. You know, let's just take domestic violence. You know how many people in a weekend 
we arrest for domestic violence. A lot. It's like a third of who we arrest, just on average. Like, trespass, domestic violence, DUI. Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's compare me and you again. Let's expose us to the same trauma incident. Depending on individual resiliency, not a quantifiable variable, by the way. Resiliency, it, it's very hard to quantify. Your exposure to a traumatic incident will have a different effect on you than the same traumatic uh, experience will have on me. Therefore, the result will be the same. It will be, sorry, will be different. You have to then take into effect all the other things I mentioned before. Individual genetics, mm-hmm. individual surroundings. Like, do you see how complicated this gets? Oh, yeah, of course. I, the whole issue or the, the whole thing is extremely complicated. So just because a vast majority of shooters have had one of those things happen to them doesn't mean that a vast majority of people who've been uh, who've had physical abuse or been abused by their husband or wife are going to go shoot up a place. Right. Well, I mean, here's the other one, bullying. I mean, Christ almighty, if you weren't bullied and if you weren't bullied at some point in your school career, you didn't go to public school. (laughs) Like somebody bullied somebody. (laughs) Um, And to what degree are we defining bullying? How would you, how would you qualify bullying? Name calling? I get name called by my wife. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Come on. Um, it's a sissy society when it comes to some of this stuff. I'm sorry, that's that that's a whole other subject. But no, I mean, to take it seriously, you're asking serious questions, I'll give you a serious answer. You can't you can't quantify this stuff in in, in a way that creates good predictions. Um I know we're trying and I know people are scared. Uh I don't know, Israel used to get car bombed in public on a fairly regular basis by Palestinians. They got through it. Doesn't appear to be happening as much as it used to. I don't know. I haven't been following the news as uh, foreign news as as closely as I should. I haven't heard much in the way of pizzerias and bus stops being blown up by Palestinians and car bombs. Uh, Certainly don't hear that sort of thing going on in Ireland anymore. Maybe it does. I don't know. Haven't, you know, again, I, I, this, the shootings came up recently, and I actually was trying to do a comparison to car bombings. Um, and I was like, eh, this, this seems to be a thing that has died off outside of Iraq, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, it would stand to reason there would be car bombings going on there. So it's a thing. Countries go through it, depending on what's going on in the world. Um, I think there's some variables here that don't work in our favor. Uh, access to high-grade military weapons, a large swath of disaffected uh, people, and the phenomenon of copycat. You know, the uh, I watch a lot of combat sports, and the first time you get punched in the face sucks. <laughs> <laughs> It's a really life-changing experience. If you haven't been punched directly in the nose, I highly recommend it. It changes your worldview. Um, and you get used to it. 
after a while, you know, you've been punched in the face enough times, eventually you develop some calluses, you develop, you know, some abilities. Hey, you might even learn to evade a punch, but at least, at the very least, you can stand to take one. Um, and I think, to a degree, there's parallels with, with, you know, with the violence going on in this country right now is, you know, yeah, it sucks now and we and we shouldn't get used to it, and we should work towards making the country better. But the, but the problem isn't guns, and the problem isn't this large catch-all term of mental health. Neither help the situation, but it, it starts with the comfortability and the availability of the American citizen to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Uh, it's hard to live in this country right now for a lot of people. Period. Now, most of those people won't shoot up a school, but some of them are going to. Uh, it's, it's really difficult to predict who's going to. Some things are more lend themselves to predictability than others, but that's the reality of it. Um, I don't think social media helps, but uh, you know, your guess was like, oh, things are worse now than, than they've ever have been. No, they're not. I <laughs> Go back to the 60s, okay? <laughs> We're not that much worse than what things were in the 60s. The 60s just didn't have fucking Twitter. Um, so, you know, what was, a what was largely contention on rele relegated to just college campuses now is everywhere through the use of social media. That's really the only difference. The same level of shrillness has always been there in this country. I think most people just experienced it at, like, Uncle Louie's dinner table at Thanksgiving. You know, you go to a mm -hmm. relative think Thanksgiving and it's less like, I think anyone who has an abortion should have their head chopped off. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Well, <laughs> thankfully this dinner is going to end soon. But Uncle Louie didn't have Twitter at the time, so it's different now. But it's always been there. You know what I mean? Now everyone's at the dinner table. Yeah, everyone's at the dinner table and everyone has access to everyone's dinner conversation no matter how stupid they are. Everyone's stuck listening or seeing other people's opinions. Yes. No matter how dumb they are. All right. Uh, let's move on to another, uh, I guess, bigger issue. Climate change. Where do you lie on that? So, um, climate change is a thing. It's, it's happening. It's measurable. Uh, unlike some of the more esoteric things we've discussed tonight, you can actually measure the differences in temperature from decade to decade, from generation to generation. The world's getting, the world's getting hotter. I think to, traditionally climate change is defined as substantially colder out of the ordinary winters, substantially hotter out of the ordinary summers. Um, more, more rapid catastrophic weather events happening in short order. And I believe the institutions that measure this stuff say it's happening. What I can't get my finger on and what's get, what gets muddled by the people who have a dog in the hunt in the argument are how much of that is man-made, how much of that is just local planetary phenomenon give you well, it has to be at least in part man-made 
again, that's measurable. That, that is, in fact, mm-hmm. a thing. Um, I read a book, got it actually from the Harvard Library. Didn't go to Harvard. Let me be clear about that. I don't want to misrepresent myself. Uh, I know, I'm such a, such a fabulous speaker. I sound like I just got out of, a, got out of Harvard, right? <laughs> no, um, we are uh, just vacationing in Massachusetts, and I have to have visited the campus, and I went into the library. And I bought a book because I was a big nerd back then on climate change. And uh, it, the, the book is a lot of math and statistics about like polar ice caps and how uh, these large chunks of ice capture uh, millennia of data on climate change. And there was a part of the book that actually dealt with a mini ice age that occurred in Europe. Now, why this was an ice age that killed large swaths of human beings was because the amount of trees being cut down for fuel at that time. There were so many trees being cut down in Europe, it actually heated up the planet at a time when there was an ice age phenomena happening. That may, you know, because of the carbon dioxide being released and everything else that goes along mm-hmm. with cutting trees down. So we, in fact, created a man-made uh, global warming, at least localized enough in Europe, that it staved off people being killed during an ice age. So yeah, that's a thing. It happens. The problem with this argument is it's devolved into um, a wizard did it. <laughs> it's it's really happening. The counter argument: No wizards. <laughs> Whatever you know, people just yelling whether or not climate change is an actual thing. It's a thing. The real argument, the one that's been uh, shrouded by the stupid argument is well what do you do about it so like the united states western europe have a different set of rules in determining how we deal with greenhouse gases and pollution and waste and dumping than china and india do that's in part because well at the time that these things were written you know, we were trying to get the third world to catch up industrially to the, to the first world. I'm pretty sure China's there now. Pretty sure China and India are going to be okay. So, again, I'm not in favor of dumping. I'm not in favor of creating large pollutants. And I think those things need to be regulated. But I think to one degree or another, you need to hold China and India and Africa the whole continent of Africa, I'm grouping in with those two, to the same standard of pollution control that you hold the Western world. Um, uh, They they mentioned it in the Democratic debates how the U.S. is, I I don't want to say only, responsible for 15% of carbon emissions that are released into that atmosphere. So the, the other like 75%, 10% other countries, so that a, a large chunk of it comes from China and India. Right, which are so, held to a different standard than the, than the Western world. So if, uh, if, we, if the U.S. does decide to go full green, we don't know the damage you're doing on the economy, on people living here, mostly people who are poor, people who can't afford green energy. 
we don't know the effects that it would have on all of those communities to switch <laughs> over and then have China still polluting just as much as they are now. Okay, yeah, that's the part of the, the argument that always concerns me because I think we'll adjust, we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, you know, any change is going to require a bit of discomfort, but I think in the long run, I don't want to not be able to breathe. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'll take a little bit of financial discomfort. But I feel like if you have a country full of people that can play World of Warcraft for a living, you can, add, you, you can call China to the same American standards. Let's not be stupid about this. Well, yeah, well, it's like, like everyone goes to the change. China and India don't. And a lot of the third world countries. <laughs> have you and looked at it, like aerial shots of like big cities in China? They look better than some of our big cities. Yeah. <laughs> like compare like, like Hong Kong to Detroit. Yeah, well, uh, I was talking to... Oh, it was actually, I was interviewing someone on the podcast. Like you said, the standard we treat China, not just in uh, environmental issues, in a lot of issues, economically, everything, we treat China like they're still a third world country, right. which yep. needs to be changed. <laughs> yes. I, I, that's, like I said, that to me is the argument. The argument over whether or not global... Uh, global um, climate change exists is a dumb one and I wish we'd get past it but we're not going to because the people saying there's no such thing as climate change are the ones that you know that favor letting big businesses pollute the planet Uh, that's a whole other thing but um, but the, the, the focus should be on policy not recognition of that a phenomenon exists but uh we're not quite there yet, as you know, generally speaking, because uh, I still talk to people. It's just like, oh, I don't think climate change is real. <sighs> okay. I'm like, I can show <laughs> you math at this point. <laughs> but, you, go, you know, this isn't, a, I don't know about the death penalty or abortion. No, I actually have evidence, but fine, whatever. Well, yeah, well, I, I feel like that whole problem, we're arguing whether or not it's real or not instead of actually let's figure out some solutions. I feel like that's going on with all of politics, not even just that. I sure. think I think the US specifically is at a state where we would rather yell about what we think is wrong than actually come up with some solutions. Yeah, and a lot of it's emotionally driven. Um, a lot of it is based in sort of your political faith I believe, therefore it is, um, even in the face of actual evidence. You know, I go back to, we, we started this whole thing with like the basic income guarantee. A big hurdle to getting something like that passed is people still believe that we're a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps nation. We haven't been that for quite some time. I don't know where people are getting this from. Uh, so... But people believe, but you know, people like my father-in-law and his voting block votes. So it's it's hard to get ideas out there because you're you're kind of it's like you're yelling there is no God in a, in a you know in a church full of Catholics. It's it's hard to reach people in a political atmosphere like that. Uh, well, that's part of the reason why I personally like Andrew Yang so much. 
is he he mentions the problems, mm-hmm. but he's actually out here saying solutions, or he's not out there like Elizabeth Warren, or she actually has some plans, but her Bernie Sanders, a lot of them just go out and they say universal health care for everyone or cancel all student loan debt and we all just go free college when but Andrew Yang actually goes out and says things that can actually like has solutions and has a plan well Barack Obama had specific ideas and solutions too um it's the the trick is getting the people who those ideas would appeal to to actually get up and vote it's it's not easy it's Mm -hmm. people got hulu and netflix to watch man (laughs) people just need to start paying for hulu ads (laughs) i'm telling you if you could if you could find a way to vote on facebook or twitter you know or through your game console the voting in this country would change rapidly Oh yeah, well, I, I think, I think sometime in the future we got to move to being able to vote from home, whether mm-hmm. that be on your computer or download an app on your phone. Yeah, I, I should have made the I should have said the obvious because I'm making fun of a certain group of people. Yeah, but I, I should. <laughs> <laughs> but but I should have. You're absolutely right. If you could just download a voting app, and everyone votes that way, um, you know. You, you voting within this country donald trump would not be being reelected if you could vote on your phone he just wouldn't um fact he'd lose in fact there are certain people i think he'd lose um you know that voted for him initially but uh you know we're, we're, as long as you actually have to get up go to a place and vote it's your ideas may be sound but you actually have to get people off their ass and go and no one's figured out the no one's figured out figured out the math or the magic to make that happen. You just kind of have to ride things out. Like, you know, four more years it'll be the Democrats' turn. And then eight years after that, again, devoid any major financial or military disaster. Eight years after that, that's just the pattern. So yeah, uh, for me, so part of the reason why I don't think Democrats will win this election is, like you said, just the trends. That's just that's just how America has been for two hundred years. Mm-hmm. So, but if we're talking other reasons why, I think the Democrats just don't really have a strong candidate, in my opinion. Yeah, there was there, there was talk they should get behind like Oprah. It was Oprah and somebody else, and I can't remember who the other celebrity was. But I thought I think uh, it was Tom Hanks. Maybe. Um, I feel like it was a. I feel like it was an African American. Um, just I don't know who else besides Oprah that it could have possibly have been. Anyway, I think Oprah Oprah could have given him a run for his money. Um, again, don't know if she captures the the, the youth market. Um, she might have twenty years ago. But then 20 years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, <laughs> so which celebrity can we run opposite the, opposite the failed real estate mogul? 
Ugh. Um, it's really sad that like like political strategery has devolved into that. So there's a guy who had a who had a reality show who was a failed real estate person, and he's like this really big personality. What can we run counter to that? Talk show host, <laughs> actor. You need, you need a reality TV star. That's what you need. Uh, I don't know. Was Gordon Ramsay born in this country? He seems to be doing well. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> Just him standing up there at the, um, oh, what's the big speech the president does at the beginning of the State of the Union? Just like, listen, all you donuts. <laughs> Perfect. Him, him putting two pieces of bread on the, against uh, Nancy Pelosi's head. <laughs> Asking her, what are you? <laughs> uh, be perfect. Um, yeah, I, I don't know of any other big, uh, big American-born reality star. Eh, maybe, maybe a Kardashian. People seem to like them. Yeah, Kim Kardashian has been doing wonders. She's like the face of justice reform. Currently, there you go. All right, you. I don't know how, how old is she. Is she thirty-five. I think so. I think okay. she's old enough. All right. Well, then there's Democrats. Andrew Yang, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. Stop wasting everyone's time and money. Stop running as a Democrat. Give all your ideas to her. And everyone vote for Kim Kardashian for president. And then you might have a chance of beating Trump. You might. And now I'm going to go drown myself in the tub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, everybody, because of yep. the state of political <laughs> affairs. I just want to make sure I'm clear about that. We do not endorse Kim Kardashian as president. Oh. Oh, I was talking about drowning myself in the tub. This is a weird country we live in. There might be cops on the way to the house now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we've been talking for about an hour and a half. I don't know. It hasn't felt like an hour and a half to myself. <laughs> Thank you. That's the nicest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> well, so I, you want us got any closing statements? Um, if you're listening to this because people who listen to podcasts tend to trend younger than older. Um, and you've heard me say 10 times tonight, youth don't vote. Uh, maybe make me look like an asshole and go vote. I encourage that. If anyone, if everyone listening to this podcast would like to make me look as dumb as possible, make me look like the world's biggest asshole that nobody should listen to by going out to vote, I'll take that on. There's my challenge to people. Make Mark Rattledge, the patriarch of the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network, look like an asshole by actually voting. How about that? That's pretty good. I, I inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you again mark for uh coming on the show it, it's fun i haven't been able to speak publicly about any of this stuff because talking to people about politics tends to annoy me so i appreciate you giving me an hour and a half to bend your ear and rant this was fun yeah i, I love doing it so <laughs> So uh, give your uh, podcast a quick plug before uh, we head out. Once again, yes, thank you. Uh, once again, it's the Rattledge in Broadcasting Network. Whatever platform you download podcasts on, just type in Rattledge. 
R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H. You'll see a little picture of Peter Griffin doing the grind your gears bit from Family Guy. That's my current icon. Um, hopefully that'll change to something that'll get me less sued by Disney. Uh, but for the time being, uh, whether it's Stitcher, iTunes, uh, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, just type in Radlidge, R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H. You'll find my podcast. We, we just did a alternative commentary uh, live watch along type thing for UFC 242 Khabib versus Um We did shows last week on uh, Legion, the comic, the comic book, and the television show. We did. Um, hang on. We did. Uh, reviews of the comic book onslaught the third season of hannibal we did a whole bunch of wrestling i don't know if people who listen to this listen, watch wrestling at all but we reviewed new japan royal quest nxt uk cardiff and aew all out so those are the most recent shows we've got a whole bunch more coming up we like i said we podcast four or five six days a week every day we're dropping something so go give that all a listen you can at me hey asshole on twitter um <laughs> it's just mark radilich m-a-r-k-r-a-d-u-l-i-c-h um and check out on our facebook page the radilich and broadcasting network and again same thing how many radiliches could there possibly be in the world um outside of croatia so uh any google search radilich you'll find all my stuff and i appreciate you letting me on the podcast of course uh anytime